Side with Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from a basement in the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn. Andrew Gunling, JJ Devaney. The EPL Season Preview Edition Part D. What's up, brother? People are saying this is the best part because it's the part where people get to contribute to the actual production of this podcast. That's right. And I agree with them. And it's what I say to the people who were upset after part one that their team wasn't mentioned. I would say, well, that was labeled part one for a reason. There is a whole other part where other teams will be mentioned. We also do. But a I don't need to be. I don't want to be bitter. No, we also do. Well, you don't want to be, but you are. Um, we also do a, a regular mailbag. So you know, over the course of a season, if you feel like your team has been hard done by, get in contact with us. We'll talk about them. Oh yeah, we don't shy away from any teams except maybe, I don't know, West Brom. I, I uh, a lot of shying away from West Brom. Huge shying away from Fulham, even in a way. Oh, oh my! But that's that's America's team. You're not un-American, are you? Well, this isn't... Well, the, you are actually Irish. This isn't a McCarthyite investigation, so how dare you? Uh, this should be fun, though. We have a huge... It's it's basically the, the episode that you all created. So there's a huge EPL-specific mailbag that we'll go through to answer all of your questions that you guys... Uh, that you had great response from everybody after part one. Uh, we will, we're will we planning on speaking with Guy Mowbray, um, longtime commentator, BBC. He's done World Cups, Champions Leagues. Uh, We had him on earlier in the summer. It was a great conversation, so we look forward to speaking with him again. And then, of course, at the end, we have our predictions. Uh, JJ, before we get started, I should tell you tonight, remember the the fantasy league that you were once in, decided you were too good to be a part of, and then abandoned? Uh, Well, the league has gone on without you. I know that's probably hard for you to fathom. Um, Nothing. nothing, The world is only revolving around me, and uh, I presumed you just gave up when, when I left. I'm sure you did. Um, you probably believe that the website just shut down entirely, which actually did happen, but a new website has formed in its place. But anyway, a, a member of the league dropped out suddenly. Um, we're in need of a another member, so I come back to you with my... I, I, I find it unbelievably tedious. Um, uh, we've had so many requests from listeners to start our own league. I mean... Uh-huh. I'm thinking about it just for them, but but to just humor you and your cadre of imbecile friends, I don't think so. Well, the draft is tonight, so you have roughly seven hours. I will think about it. I'm sure there's another option other than me, though. If there was, I trust me, I would have gone to them before you. This is <laughs> not easy for me to do. You're all groveling. Right. <laughs> uh, all right, here we go. It is the EPL mailbag special because the EPL is, in fact... Back for more. Um, <laughs> JJ, would you like to uh, to take us through here? Yeah, the, the mailbag is, is wonderful, plentiful, and bountiful. Let's begin with uh, Jackie. Uh, who do you think will be Southampton's starting keeper? Fraser Forster coming back definitely shakes things up, but McCarthy had some good games at the end of the season. Um, this is a tough one, Jackie. I don't think Hassel-Hootl is entirely happy with either keeper. We all remember McCarthy's howler of a mistake versus Arsenal during the restart. Uh, Fraser Forster is an experienced keeper, good shot stopper, but is he good enough to play out like Hassel-Hootl would want on a regular basis? I mean, Fraser Forster reminds me of a large oak tree, and I feel as if his feet are similar to that of a large oak tree. 
Um, so does Angus Gunn get the nod? No, I, it won't be him. It won't, I, well, I, I don't can't know. see him passing the two of those guys in the depth chart. Well, I, well, then my my conclusion is he will go with McCarthy again. You think so? Yeah. Okay. And I know this is exactly the way everybody was hoping the podcast would start out with a South <laughs> Southampton goalkeeping <laughs> segment. Um, oh, God. I, yeah, I don't know. McCarthy, McCarthy if, if you look at all of the, like the goalkeeping metrics, if you do trust those kinds of things, he was – he was pretty average in all of them. Like save percentage under 70%, 12th in the league. That was pretty representative of where he ranked in most statistics. Uh, and not just from like a save and goalkeeping perspective, but also from a ball distribution standpoint, he was just very average. Um, so I know Fraser Forster kind of left Southampton on not great terms after the 5-2 loss to Spurs at Wembley back in 2017. That was it for him. Went off to Celtic, but he has been very good at Celtic. And I just wonder if like McCarthy just hasn't been right. enough to stave off being able to hold on to that job with with a fairly important Southampton figure coming back, who's also on decent wages, by the way. Um, so I, I actually I, I tend to think that it will be Fraser Forster, but it'll be interesting to see what they do. OK, um, now, after that blistering start with some Southampton depth goalkeeper chat, let's move on to Jordan. Never bury the lead, JJ. That's what I've learned. Always go with the most important. Why did I start with that? You can't be trusted. I really can't. cannot be trusted to put the body of this show together. Well, let's liven up that body, that corpse, with some chat from Jordan on Newcastle. Any thoughts on the signings at Newcastle? Manny, Jordan. Hendrick, Fraser, Wilson, Lewis, and young Gillespie at keeper. Not talking about him. Surely this has to be a definite upgrade to what they currently have, correct? Um, Maybe. So let's go piece by piece here. Jeff well, Hendrick- well, yes. In some respects, absolutely. No, I don't. I, I, I disagree. So I think there's question marks here. So Jeff Hendrick, very effective midfielder, but he is erratic. We've seen that at the international level with the Republic of Ireland. He can play brilliantly uh, and then can be so poor in the next game. He needs a consistent run at Newcastle. Ryan Fraser. He comes into this move with like plenty to prove. Question marks over his character and the way things ended at Bournemouth. Um, and Callum Wilson certainly has a lot to prove. Is he good enough to lead the line at Newcastle? Jamal Lewis looks like a very good sign-in. And uh, he almost ended up at Liverpool. So I think it's a mixed bag. It's a very Steve Bruce bag. You know, there's going to be no language or communication problems with this guy, with these guys. These are going to be signings. I think Bruce will have... They're certainly not the signings that Newcastle fans thought they would be getting. I mean, they thought they'd be getting Killian Mbappe at the start of the season. <laughs> but here we are. That's a great point. That's a yeah. great point. Um, here's the only reason that I say that these signings, one in particular, uh, are very important. JJ, I want to ask you a question here. Okay. Who led Newcastle in scoring last season? <sighs> Sir John Joe of Shelby. Do you know how many goals he scored? He got a handsome, a king's ransom of seven. Six, as a matter of fact. Oh, oh, okay. John Joe Shelby was Newcastle's leading goal scorer with six goals. They were awful offensively. Average just 10, uh, 10 and a half shots per 90, which was terrible. Expected goals was worst in the league at 33. Uh, and just to put that in perspective, by the way, Norwich were 38.2 in that category. Norwich. Yikes. Like, I know Callum Wilson is coming off by his standards, by most standards, a very down year um, at Bournemouth. But like, look what he's coming into. It, it can 
it can only get better when you bring in a quality player like him to play that position. Like Joe Linton was just such an incredible disappointment at striker. They had to go out and do something. And I think for a club like Newcastle, you know, I think Callum Wilson is about as, as good an option as you can, as you can ask for. And and he's, he's, trying to forget last season and his eight goals for Bournemouth. And he's basically saying, this isn't who I am and that I'm a leader and I can lead the line. So Right. But that says something, though, that in a terrible year for him, his eight goals still would have been the most on this Newcastle side. So like, it can only get better. While we're talking about Newcastle, by the way, because I don't think we're going to go back to them, there was one other player that, can I mention here, that I wanted to mention in part one, but I just didn't have the place to do it. So I'm going to shoehorn it in now. Okay. Um, in part one, we talked about players that we were most excited for this season. And Oh, uh, San Maxime. Yeah. I, I just I didn't mention him the other night, but I wanted to mention Alan San Maxime uh in this podcast because I mean, like you could see in flashes what he can provide in attack. Uh and if Steve Bruce will just like let the reins off of him and just let him go, uh, I would love to see what he is truly capable of because I feel like he can do this season, potentially what Adama Traore did for Wolves last season and take that kind of jump and become one of the most exciting players in the league. And Andrew, I just hope that that Newcastle and Steve Bruce is a club where that's allowed to happen. Andrew, that's the X factor, because let's be honest, the style of football under Bruce has been bad, just yeah. bad. And, and that's as much a problem as anything else. Yeah. Um, let's move on then. Um, Bryant Olivas. Bryant asks, what team do you think will benefit the most from there being no fans on the grounds? And I, I have no real a, answer. This is, a, this is a really interesting question. I, I think you could you could say Newcastle will will definitely at home. Uh, that's a crowd that's, I suppose, in a way, <laughs> they might benefit from not having the, cr- the fans in the stadium because that's a crowd that will either lift you or if things go wrong, they can get on your back big style. Um, I think Liverpool will struggle uh, without Ant with the, the Anfield crowd, um, but I think it work it, it works both ways. The, the smaller sides don't have that, you know. Like for example, I'm not calling them a smaller side, but I'm saying like Leeds United not having fans at Ellen Road. I mean see, that is just that's a disadvantage for them. There's no question when a big side comes to town. Yeah, see that's that's kind of how I view it. Is that like to me? the teams that will benefit from their not being fans and they would never say this are the big teams, the best teams, yeah. the best teams are clearly the ones that benefit because, you know, like they always say weather, you know, snow or rainstorm weather is the great equalizer. Well, I, I kind of sometimes think that in this sport specifically fans and crowd atmosphere in, in many mean, ways is also a great act, uh, a, a great equalizer. Like, I mean, think of a wet, cold night with the wind blowing at the Hawthorns and the crowd in on top of you and West Brom on the attack. Like that, that is, that's pretty fearsome if you're, or it's the, it's, it's definitely something that could be what we call a leveler for, for the bigger sides that will bring them down a little. Like fans are a variable and the, Mm. the best teams don't want to deal with variables because without variables, you're more likely to just have the game simply be about okay who's better. So like I truly believe fans can they can lift an underdog to do something they're not supposed to do. 
They provide an energy. They give you a surge in adrenaline that can carry a smaller club that might be hanging on for dear life. So Liverpool and City, they don't need that. Like they're good enough to just stand on their own. So mm-hmm. they want to remove those kinds of variables. And like I said, they'll never admit that. The thought of Liverpool playing in an empty Anfield is, you know, it's sad. And we saw it last season when they won a title there. Like it's just not how the game is supposed to be played. But that doesn't mean that it won't benefit them in in much of the other games of the season. Uh, Pierce Alexander. Is Pep Guardiola's job secure after that UCL embarrassment? If things in the league don't start well, do City start to consider a new direction? I have a very quick answer for this one. This is a bespoke football club made in his image, down to every single detail, even the house that he lives in, the apartment or the the, the building in the middle of Manchester was knocked through so he could have one big bespoke apartment. It's very hard to change direction right now for City, and I don't see it happening. Um, Khaldun El-Mubarak spoke after uh, the, I think it was after they went out to Leon, or it was either, yeah, I think it was. It wasn't after the Premier League season, and he didn't give any indication that Pep is under pressure. He said the results weren't acceptable in the league and they have to be better, and, you know, he, he talked about how important Europe is, but to about turn right now on a club that from top to bottom was made so they could go and get Pep Guardiola from the training ground to Tiki Bergeristan to, you know, everything about this club. It's, I don't see it happening. Not this season. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, like with, with what he's achieved in the league with that club, I mean, I just, you know, like points records, goal scoring records. Like I just can't ever really envision him getting fired. Uh, but I mean, we're in a day and age in sports where no, like, no job is forever. It's I'm not saying that they won't like Coach K with Duke, but like, yeah. You know, so what I would say to to the question is that no, I, like, I don't believe his job is in any kind of danger. But I also don't believe that the question is out of line to be asked. No, but it's not happening mid season. If if things go, the question was if things start to go wrong in the league, it's just not happening. It, 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 it can't happen. There is, this is like a huge ocean liner being asked to turn as quickly as a jet ski. I saw that um, James Ducker wrote about Pep specifically in the Telegraph. I thought what he wrote was interesting. I have a little excerpt here. He said, uh, Guardiola has built, Serially, serially successful squads before, but he has not had to rebuild and re-motivate one in the way he does now, a challenge that will attract even more scrutiny and pressure given how his aura and that around his team have been dented and trust, uh, trust stretched over a chastening past 12 months. Okay. So, I, there, so it does feel like maybe there are eyes on Guardiola in a way that there haven't necessarily been before when he was kind of like, yeah. you know, he can do no wrong. Now people are sort of looking and saying, okay, like you have not been able to get it done in the champions league nearly to the extent that you've supposed to, you you know, you just got handed one from Liverpool. How will you rebound from this? And, and I think people will be curious to see how that goes. I think so too. Um, the last melon uh, on Instagram, what are re- what is a reasonable expectation for Villa's season? Is this likely to be another season fighting to stay up in the top flight? Or is it possible they kick on in year number two in the top flight? I hate saying it, but I don't see them being dramatically better unless they spend more, which I'm sure... How did that work last season? Well, look how it's working right now. So they've brought in Matty Cash from uh, Nottingham Forest, uh, the right fullback. And Ollie Watkins is the big signing um, for 35 million. 
but that's like 52 million on potential. Uh, question mark, does Jack Grealish stay? Surely the one of the major chance creators in the Premier League staying at your club would benefit them massively. I think he will stay. So maybe there's hope there. Uh, but they need reinforcements, possibly a center mid- another center midfielder, Andrew, and another center back. So um, I think if Grealish stays, they can be better, but marginally. Don't you get the feeling, JJ, that like with regards to Grealish, Aston Villa, if you're an Aston Villa supporter right now, don't you feel like you're just sitting there and in a weird way, almost praying that Manchester United do get Jadon Sancho? Because if that happens, like surely that will be that for United. They won't really look to do more. But if they don't, and they're and money is still sitting out there that they had maybe thought we can use this on Sancho, like Grealish's name has come up as a possible guy that they would look at. And I don't know. That would make me that would make me nervous if motiv- if United felt motivated to kind of make a panic buy. Grealish would probably be one of the guys near the top of that list. I would think. Um, I, I think you're. I think you're right. Him, but- I, 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 I agree with most of what you said there that like this is probably going to be another season where survival is the key. And to me, if they lose Grealish, I almost I would almost sit here and tell you that they're gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because they won't. There's no chance they replace him in time. I think. I. Th- yeah, I don't know. And a- again, you're looking for Watkins to come in and not just be settle in you're looking for him to lead the line immediately yeah i mean he was great you know in the championship he was first in goal scored first in big chances scored fourth in shots on target fifth in total shots um and you know villa need that uh their expected goals were pathetically low last season for me with villa jj here is the number all right the number is 29 you know what that represents no 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 uh villa last season made 29 errors which led directly to an opponent's oh, shot. We that spoke was, about I, this. That was, yeah, we right. I remember at the end of last season. And that was by far the most in the league. Second was 20. Villa were 29. Uh, that number has got to come way that, down. That's brutal. That's yeah. absolutely brutal. That's just like self-inflicted damage that they're not good enough to be able to, to withstand that. So after that positivity for Aston Villa, um, Tom Creasy, I want to talk about Man United's pursuit of Jadon Sancho. It just looks like a vanity purchase. Why can't they have a more sensible look at what they need rather than throwing money at signing players who get mad likes on Instagram? And he also wants to talk about Arsenal. So let me just deal quickly with, with the Jaden Sancho thing. I mean, it's not a vanity purchase. 30 goals and 38 assists in 78 Bundesliga games and he only turned 20 in March is just not a vanity signing. It's a how can we secure the services of Europe's best young talent for the next decade signing. Right. I, I, there's nothing else to be said on, on on that for me. I mean, it's it's not vanity, man. It really but is. But by the way, but by the way, even if it was, you know, Manchester United are trying to make up this unbelievable gap between them and City and them and Liverpool and get right back into a title race, uh, while also trying to be able to contend in the Champions League. So, like, when you're a club of their caliber that has the sort of money and spending power that they have, like. This is kind of the time, and and a player like him is is young enough and talented enough. Where like, if not now, when? Like, when is the the right time to flex that sort of muscle? If not on a player like Sancho? Yeah, yeah, I suppose that's true. Um, Arsenal, have we any thoughts on Arsenal, Andrew? Of course. Um, I feel like there is a mental battle that we are all waging right now with how we perceive. Arsenal because they're coming off of their worst league campaign in 25 years, but we're weighing that against their recent form in that they just won an FA cup. Um, 
whatever stock you want to put in their community shield victory over Liverpool. But nothing, and by the way, it's, it's okay. But it's also not just that they won an FA Cup. It's it's also that they beat Chelsea and Manchester City yeah. in the semifinal and final in doing it. Um, you know, it's also the fact that they're close. It sounds to signing a new contract with Obama Yang. So if we assume they do, that's a huge weight lifted off of that club's shoulders. So right. you know, it's it's like. I don't know. It's kind of like the best of times, worst of times, all smashed into one thought process about this club right now. And it's kind of like, I don't know the right way to view them. Um, I guess it's, for now, I would say it's kind of the same old story. Will they be good enough in defense? I mean, we talk about Aston Villa's self-inflicted errors. Arsenal were much of the same. Um, Like, is Gabriel, William Saliba, like, are, are they enough to fix everything they're so young we don't know we just just don't know and and it's such a it's a risk i think like two players with that are that inexperienced like will they even play those guys together so like you'll probably always have either mustafi and or david louise on the field um at some point so i don't know they're just like expectations around them are are confusing yeah i i would say the the real sign of hope for me the ray of light is that Arteta seems to have them organized defensively when they're against good teams in a way that he, that we haven't seen before and and that's going to matter hugely um okay let's real, see real, where... i have i have one i have one other thing on them that i wanted to mention before okay. we move off of arsenal because i saw i want to give a shout out to stats bomb because uh they did gr- some great previews of mm. a lot of different epl clubs and uh they did one about arsenal and they mentioned something that is that i guess like you realize it in the moment but then to see it in front of you listen to this jj um so arsenal had the fourth worst expected goals difference in the league when they had a lead so arsenal were that team we talk about like soft underbelly we heard you know what troy dini has said about arsenal in the past that like you can get to them and you can you can turn it around like if you go down a goal against arsenal you're not afraid don't panic like you can come back and, and and the stats back that up stats bomb they right here all last year of the top six teams had a positive expected goal difference with the lead. The best teams look to extend leads, not protect them. Protecting leads is a recipe for 14 draws in 38 league matches and another likely mid-table finish. To put this another way, when playing with a one-goal lead, Arsenal became relegation candidates. They had 36% of the expected goals, 32% of the total shots, but still managed 47% of the goals. Is that luck? talent maybe a bit of both with a strong worry that it won't be repeatable should they try it again like they go up a goal and i don't know if it's just like this me- this mentality that okay we're good or if they're just not good enough defensively to then withstand what it is a team is going to throw at them and attack to try to get back into a game it's probably more of that to be honest yeah they so they, they like, seem curious how that plays out they seem to do that thing where when they score they immediately come under pressure and fall back and that yeah. that could be psychological as well um, okay, that's some good stuff there. That's well, I guess it's good stuff. If you're an Arsenal fan, you're probably really worried about it. Um, on Instagram, it's the Lewis Correa. With the rumor now being that Pulisic is the new number ten, he is the new number ten. We can confirm that uh, with Willian's departure. Do you think that'll add a new level of pressure to him? If so, do you think he'll embrace it or crack under it? Love you guys. Love you too, Luis. Um, I've thought about this, and I think it makes no difference, Andrew. I really don't, and 
Also, I think Kai Havertz and Timo Werner immediately take on the pressure to perform tag. I just don't see Pulisic and the number 10 shirt making any difference. He takes it from Willian. It's not like he's taken it from Eden Hazard in his first season. If it was his first season, that may have been a factor. But now when I consider him an established part of the attack, I don't factor in the number 10 jersey. But Grant Wall did something um, interesting here. He listed the uh, recent players to wear the number 10 at Chelsea. So Christian Pulisic from 2020 onwards, Willian 2019 to 2020, Eden Hazard 2014 to 19. And, and then I see a drop off. So Juan Mata 2011 to 2013. Good player, but not an iconic Chelsea number 10, surely. Uh, Yassi Benayoun, 2010 to 11. Joe Cole, 2003 to 2010. What? That's a long time. Yeah. Uh, Savisa Jokanovic, 2000 to 2002. My but like God. now we're in a different era. Yeah. This but, is that's like yeah, but you're in a you're in an era of low expectations. Jokanovic, <laughs> not a Chelsea Levin legend. Pierluigi Cassiraghi, uh, 98 to 99. He literally played for Chelsea about a handful of times and got injured. Um, and, and it was in Chelsea's old Italian buying stage. And Mark Hughes, 96 to 98. So um, there was there was always this thing at, at Liverpool about the number seven jersey. Oh, everyone who's worn number seven since whoever the last person was, he hasn't been good. He hasn't been good. Um, I, I just don't buy it. I, I really don't. I think it would be more pressure, perhaps, if he, if it had happened in his first season. Maybe. By the way, though, with this kid, like, I, I don't, I mean, I don't feel like pressure really affects him, at least not adversely. No. I mean, when have we seen that? Like, he jumped right into the U.S. picture at 18 and was already their best player. He's gone to Chelsea now. You know, at Borussia Dortmund, like a, a giant in in Germany, he's playing well in Champions League games against Real Madrid. Like, he's come to Chelsea now and has probably shown in, the, in his first year with them that he's their best player. Like, how many how many times does he need to answer the call when it comes to pressure before we're just kind of like, yeah, this isn't a, this will only motivate him to, to do better. It will not cause him to do worse. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, on Instagram again, Rudy, will this be the last year we see Liverpool's three-headed attack in Salamane and Firmino? Who goes first? Why? How do we build around a fullback in Trent moving forward? Well, I'll deal with the the latter part uh, first. How do we build around a fullback in Trent moving forward? I, I think what's going to happen is that you try and bolster that midfield, if you can, with uh, more attack-minded, uh, better ball players rather than the crash-bang-wallop midfield we have, which has been brilliant but has been not as creative as other midfields. So I think that's what, and 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 it's a nod towards trying to get this Tiago Alcantara deal done. Um, you have to augment the creativity wide with something a little more creative in in midfield. That's my view, anyway. Um, will it be the last year we see Liverpool's three-headed attack? I don't think so, but possibly. I mean, just by the facts of the age, the guys are you know approaching that 28, 29, 30 age. And uh, those are usually the the enter a decline uh, years, but I'm sure Liverpool will pay serious attention to the numbers and and to the figures. I think Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino will be there longer than Mohamed Salah. I think if someone was to go, I think Salah will go first. 
but I honestly don't think any of this is happening now, but possibly in the next 18 months. And, and that's just because of the way Liverpool operate. And um, a lot will depend on the post-COVID, if we reach a post-COVID reality and, and money and wages and ages and basically decline. Um, these are stats and these are concerns that uh, owners like Liverpool and FSG pay particular attention to. They will not want to hand out big contracts to guys who are turning 30. That's a fact. That's the prudent way they look at managing finances. There's also the the Swiss wat ramble on Liverpool's finances this season is very, very good and how COVID has affected them and how they haven't sold players, or rather they haven't brought players into the club. And, and were they to do it, it may have to be a sell-to-buy policy. So that's worth um, looking at on Twitter. But um, for now, the guys are staying, but certainly certainly, um, one or maybe two will move on in the next, maybe after 18 months, I think. Uh, Trey Paisano, uh, favorite kit revealed so far. As a United fan, that third kit is vomit emoji. So I, I'll just start off. It's easier to deal with the awful. For So the United Zebra kit, I, I just don't know what's going on there. I don't know what uh, Adidas were thinking. Uh, Arsenal's, I've called it the bloody tissue away jersey. It looks like if you blew your nose into a tissue and there's just like strands of red. Uh, nosebleed jersey, don't like it. And the Wolves away jersey is just a mess. It's like part Wolves jersey, part Jackson Pollock experiment. Um, Burnley's 100-year throwback kit is gorgeous, but it is wrecked by them slamming a love bet sponsorship all over it because we know 100 years ago there was no love bet. Um, Chelsea away is just deciding to be one of the, the Chelsea third kit. It's just a, it's just stealing Crystal Palace's jersey. It's basically if, if Nike made Crystal Palace's jersey and uh, Kazoo sponsoring both Everton and Villa, that just looked weird to me. Uh, Everton's third kit, the sea green, is atrocious. Uh, Leeds and Leicester, guys, they have solid, not embarrassing efforts from their home and away. So I suppose we doff the cap to Adidas there. Uh, the ones I liked, I think Arsenal home are nice. Those are always pretty nice uh, kits right. they have. I think Brighton away. That's uh, I nice. like Brighton away. And JJ, also really, actually, I really liked the um, the touch of green that was added to Liverpool's kit. I think yes, that's, yes. I think it. I don't know something about it. It works. It works for me. And then um, I hated it. Remember the? You ever see in Living Color? Hated it. Yeah. Uh, I don't love. I don't love um, Tottenham with this like navy strap around the shoulder. I don't know. It just. It's not. It, it it's you. not aesthetically aesthetically pleasing to me. Okay. Um, don't love Liverpool away. And you mentioned Wolves away kits i don't like either of the wolves kit uh i don't know there's just kind of like a lot going on there for me but, i'm not i'm more of a simple man yeah and, and and last season adidas decided let's go back to the old school so for the arsenal away jersey they just revamped the bruised banana and everybody loved it it's like this season they've got right guys we gotta step our game up and they've come up with these crazy designs i don't know what's wrong with them yeah i don't know um, okay, let's see what we've got here. Uh, Brian Teal. Um, hey, JJ, I was curious who who you guys think will be Chelsea starting forwards when they are at full strength and in what position. So this was, um, if I'm a Chelsea fan, I'm excited about coming up with these possibilities. I think Lampard will favor a 4-3-3, the front three being Pulisic on the left, Ziyech on the right, 
and Timo Werner going down the middle. Now, Werner can play wide and was asked to, to do that a bit by Nagelsmann at Leipzig, but I see him playing centrally for Chelsea. Kai Havertz is interesting. I see him in behind that three, but with license to roam because that's what he does. So like a roaming number 10. I think maybe Kante and Kovacic anchor the midfield. It may end up looking more like a 4-2-3-1, possibly with Havertz as a really busy number 10, picking passes for Werner centrally and Pulisic and Ziyech to the left and right. That's how I see it. I think that's it. And and with that in mind, I think it'll be really interesting to see how Tammy Abraham handles that. If he's kind of now thrust into like a super sub role, is he going to become disgruntled this season? Because he's a young player who had a pretty good first year uh, in the league with Chelsea. Um, and I just wonder if he'll feel like his growth is going to be stunted there, if that's the case. And if that, that could um, become an issue as the season goes on. That Chelsea, that Chelsea youth revolution didn't last very long, Andrew, did it? Well, I mean, yes and no. <laughs> we're gonna revo- uh, we're gonna well, have a Chelsea no, youth mostly, re- no. <laughs> mostly no, yeah. We're gonna have a Chelsea re- uh, youth revolution, and the only player that's possibly going to be uh, involved from Chelsea's path will be past will be Declan Rice. <laughs> well, look, it could still pan out for them if they wind up like if they do wind up selling a player like Abraham. And making a ton of money off of him because of the potential uh, that people saw from his first season. You could see him but, at Aston Villa, couldn't you? Or Everton? <laughs> yeah, may, yeah, I guess so. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, it could be it could be a tough year for him to deal with that. Okay, um, uh, Rashid gets in, uh, or Rashid, I think is the way to pronounce it, uh, gets in touch touch with us. And um, by the way, I should give him credit because he's the one who helped me. With the pronunciation, uh, I was calling him Zayech. It's Ziyech. That's how we are going to call the Chelsea winger from now on, Andrew. Um, good to know. Yep, yeah, it was good. Um, I absolutely love that you two discuss race and soccer. It's very important that we keep this discussion moving and not let it get pushed to the back. Just wanted to get your thoughts about EPL and the Black Lives Matter movement coming into the new season. We saw that EPL jerseys took some symbolic stances with saying Black Lives Matter for the first couple of matches and starting the tradition of kneeling before each match begins. Symbolism is nice, but of course, there's always more to be done. This is an opportunity for the league to implement stricter standards that combat racism and discrimination amongst fans, players, managers, staff, etc. In your opinion, what would a no-tolerance policy toward racism look like in the EPL? Well, first of all, I think the Premier League could ask itself some hard questions. This is from July 2020 by Mark Ogden on ESPN, and we've talked about this before, but it's worth reiterating. Wolves manager Nuno Espirito Santo is considered the only minority coach in the Premier League, and there are currently only six minority managers or coaches among the 91 Premier League and EFL clubs. But despite calls for greater efforts to be made to ensure more diversity, Richard Masters has said that the Rooney rule would not be adopted anytime soon. This is quotes from Masters. So far, we haven't discussed it. Masters told reporters during a Skype interview, it has been a topic of discussion and we have no plans to put it back on the agenda. So while I think punishments, sanctions and fines for racist incidents within uh, Premier League Stadia need to be implemented consistently, I think the resources available to Premier League clubs should mean that they offer fan education programs in diversity, difference and tolerance. Why is it like that as recently as 2018, we have Chelsea fans carrying a Nazi flag to an away game in Budapest? 
I think we need to educate fans as much as punish them, challenge them. They didn't just, just come- well, you're right. I mean, you're look, you're hundred percent right, but it's how does the, how does a soccer league do that? Well, they like it, it comes to me. It almost comes back to the stuff that John Barnes said with us that we reference all the time. That these issues are not soccer issues; these are societal issues, and soccer right. is a part of society. Right, but that's a cop out to me. Uh, with all due okay. respect to, to John Barnes, they didn't just come into the football ground and suddenly learn a racist taunt or gesture. They brought it with them from the outside, and maybe football can provide a service and setting them straight or filling in the gaps in their lives. My point being, if football occupies such a big, big part of, of their lives, surely football can help put them down the right path. I, I, I just think with the money that's washing around the game, Andrew, why not set up seminars, educational courses, do all these things? Uh, yeah, I think that would be an amazing step for this league to take R- rather um, than be and passive. It would, and it would put them at the front of the line in terms of like, le- you know, leagues around the world leading the way in this, in this sort of uh, stuff. Right now they're reactive. We wait for the guy to say the racial taunt to do the monkey chant. We re- wait for that to happen. And then we react. How about take, take a positive line and accept that racism is a part of society, but so is football. And maybe football can, can, can swing the balance in some way on this. Maybe I'm just yeah. I- idealistic. Maybe maybe it's just a money-making racket, and honestly, they don't care. Well, look, it comes down also to players, I think, willing to be able – and I think we're in a moment in time right now where players are as active as they'll ever be and have ever been in terms of uh, embracing societal issues and especially social justice. Um, like These guys have to be willing to go into – schools and speak to young people where they can kind of like cut that sort of stuff off at the pass before it kind of metastasizes in in the minds of a young person. And next thing you know, they're like, but they're right. They're a lost cause. And I think, I think like, you know, the, the mere fact that, you know, Raheem Sterling, Danny Rose, like you get minority players who are willing to speak on this stuff and, you know, they're comfortable uh, in talking about these issues that in the past were sensitive issues that players didn't really like to get into. And so, you know, you might, you know, the league, somebody of, of some sort of like significance or note could maybe go to these guys and say, okay, well, let's, let's figure this out together. What can we be doing, you know, in the community to try to change people's minds and, and, you know, weed this out of not just sports, but you're right. Soccer is a huge part of society in, in England and around the world. So you're right. Why shouldn't they take a leading role? The next question is from Charles Wang. Uh, Dear JJ and Andrew, thanks for doing a great show week to week. Keep us entertained with the historical, cultural and hysterical sides of football. I became a fan in my 20s, never played, organized anything, but every so often I am able to tactically learn something new. So what's the next trend in the EPL, whether from the manager or game-changing player? Uh, would you say soccer is less of a copycat league than basketball and American football? Um, so I think most team sports are copycat and they learn to innovate from other clubs over a period of time. Maybe English football in the past has been slower um, to do this, and but the influx of foreign managers has changed that. So we've seen false nines, inverted fullbacks, now 4-3-3, pressing or derogger. Um, English football has seen a huge amount of innovation in the last 10 years. I'm not sure what's next, but necessity being the mother of invention, Andrew, I I actually think that being able to play through a really good press is going to be hugely important. So I'm wondering, will there be the advent of a long ball team that plays quality, accurate long passes consistently to beat the press? 
Maybe that's something that's coming down the line. But I'm not sure what's next. There's there's a lot of teams doing well, a lot of yeah, yeah. The long ball idea is fascinating because you're talking about like this idea of what's old is new again. Just yeah, like but a cyclical nature. Do it in a better way. Soccer. Well, and I think maybe we're in a time when you can do that because, like, was it always the case that players like Virgil Van Dyke and Toby Alderweireld existed? Like these these center halves that can play Correct. pinpoint accurate 50 yard passes like, no. like Trent Alexander Arnold at fullback. So like maybe we are in a place in time when you have more players who play from the back uh, who are capable of doing that. So I guess if there was ever a moment to try that, then this would certainly be it. Okay, Andrew, our penultimate question, uh, Matt Kilfoyle would love to hear your thoughts on Lampard versus Bielsa and how you imagine that going, giving their conflict when they were both managing in the championship. Thank you and love the show. Thanks, Matt. Um, this is referring to Spygate, where um, where Marcelo Bielsa, uh, not last season, the season beforehand, had somebody outside Derby's uh, training session behind a fence kind of observing um, and that created a huge scandal. And then Bielsa had a press conference in which he said, oh, I didn't do this just once. I do it for everyone. <laughs> um, I don't think Bielsa will be bothered. And that conflict was won by Bielsa in that press conference where he literally had folders upon folders on everybody. And he really put the groundwork in and he kind of flipped it on its head and said, oh, oh you don't prepare like this. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it was definitely like his, like, do something. Right. <laughs> um, Frank Lampard will avoid the stop crying Frank Lampard taunt this season because the fans won't be there. Um, so I, I don't see too much in this right now. I think um, I think until the fans come back, this one is on ice. I just want to say that like you, you don't see too much in it, but I hope that there is a lot in it because I am here for the EPL manager feuds. I think they're great. I think they add something. I think they're fun. Uh, and so like we saw a little bit like this other side of Lampard, remember him going at Jurgen Klopp uh, last season? Like you could, because there were no fans in the stands, like the audio could clearly pick up uh, Klopp or Lampard screaming at Klopp in a way that we just like don't hear. So right. I want more of that. I want more of uh, angry Frank and Bielsa will bring that out in him. That's a good point. I but I, I think it would be a tremendously but miscal- tremendous miscalculation from Frank to get Bielsa angry. I I just get that feeling. Um, and finally, Andrew Devin Chu, uh, thank you for both a ter- thank you both for a terrific EPL Part One preview. Here's a question for the mailbag: What are your thoughts on Leicester's upcoming season, given their Europa League schedule and the loss of Chilwell to Chelsea? Do you think the poor form from the restart will have any effect on this current season? Thank you both. This podcast has helped me get going through during this pandemic please take care and stay safe same to you devon andrew tremendous character is going to be needed this season there's no question do we see a fall off now uh, does the fall off from from the restart and 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 before that continue for uh brendan rogers well or do we do we see these beautiful human beings turning th- turning things around they are still to me, them and Wolves are still the clubs that like like I don't expect Leicester to suddenly drop into the lower half of the table. That like I don't expect that. Um but I think we saw something last season that still exists for Leicester, and that is they can only really thrive when they are entirely healthy. And that is not 
realistic over the course of an entire season, especially one that's starting almost immediately after the previous one ended where they still don't have Pereira um, and Chilwell has obviously left for Chelsea. And it's a team that is so reliant on their fullbacks to push play forward. And those guys did it so well. So like, okay, can we rely on Jamie Vardy to just never age? I mean, he may still be very good, but at some point there, there has to be at least a small drop off, right? Like, so I don't know. I think they're still a really good team. I, I really, you know, I think James Madison is great. I, I think that Wilfred and Didi somehow is still underrated uh, and, you know, doesn't quite get the respect and do that he deserves um, for what he does for them and what he means to them. But like, this, I, I don't know if we'll see last, what we saw last season from them pre stoppage. Uh, I think they may be more consistently in like the five through seven range rather than, you know, possibly contending for a title as they were for a small stretch of last year. I don't know if we'll ever quite see that from them. Yeah. And and we have to wonder about the, the Europa League and its demands. We've seen what it's done to Burnley start. We've seen uh, what it did to Wolves last season, although, although they were able to correct it. So yeah, it's, um, it's going to be, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how that pans out. Um, and um, if they can, you know, put aside the hurt feelings about what happened at the end of last season, which was a major disappointment. That's yeah. the mailbag, Andrew. Oh, that was awesome. I hope people continue to to put forth the same energy that you did for for this. Keep sending us your questions, not just as the season progresses, not just on the EPL, but EPL, US Men, MLS, La Liga, whatever it is that you want, uh, at CO Soccer Pod on Twitter, caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com, and caughtoffside ESPN on Instagram. Thank you so much, everybody. Those questions were awesome. Uh, all right, JJ, that was the mailbag. That was fun. I enjoyed that. This will also be a lot of fun. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we spoke with Guy Mowbray earlier uh, in the summer. What a reaction. Awesome. Yeah, the the reaction on Twitter from listeners, it was great. And uh, we thought we really need to do this again. And we thought this was the perfect time as the season is starting up. And Guy, of course, lead commentator at BBC, but you hear him everywhere. Champions Leagues, World Cups, you name it, you hear his voice. And he's back on with us right now. Guy, what's up, man? How are you? I'm all right, guys. I hope, you, hope you're okay as well, despite this still going on. <laughs> yeah, it is still going on. However, we do now. Last time we spoke with you, Games hadn't started up again, right? We no. were kind of, yeah, we were kind of just like sitting out there. Now we're playing games, uh, which of course is fun. I guess I should ask you because we're on the eve of the season. You know, from a, a commentator perspective, do you get you get nervous now? Like, is that a thing that still kind of enters you? Yeah, I would normally be excited. The, the, the butterflies would be coming, and I'd be excited at this stage. But in truth, I've never actually stopped because when the games came back in June, we got the Premier League done, then the FA Cup, then. I did Champions League all the way through to the final. Then I had a, a week on a narrow boat on a canal in Wiltshire in the UK where it rained Ooh. constantly. That was my summer holiday. It was wonderful. <laughs> uh, yeah, not. Um, and then um, I did a couple of internationals last weekend, so I've not actually stopped. So it doesn't fi- it doesn't feel like a new season. And here we are in September where normally we'd be a full month in by now. And so my calendar is still all over the place. My body clock's not quite tuned in i think give it another month and i'll probably be somewhere somewhere accepting and, and moving along with it again so it's not the same sort of feeling i'm still still excited still want to get to the game on saturday but it's not the same as usual psychologically guy where are you at with the no fans in the stadium uh how's that treating yeah. you 
Um, I was fine with it when we came back, get the season finished. I understood the reasons. I was fine with it for the Champions League mini tournament, the Europa League mini tournament. That, that was all good. Got my head around that. Starting a season like it just feels scary um, because how long does it go? Yeah. How long do we carry on like this? And, and maybe that's another reason why the juices aren't flowing as much as normally as well. It's, it just doesn't feel quite right. Again, we all understand the reasons, but it, it's 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 not the same. Not the same at all. Uh, Guy, I'm curious because we had a listener ask us uh, how or who, what ground, what stadium or what team will be most affected by not having people in the stands. And and we kind of we kind of fudge the answer a bit because you can you can make arguments for for many teams, but is is there a team that stands out for you where where you think ah oh, without that fan base. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll fudge it because we don't know. We Quite simply, we don't know. Um, and you don't know season on season as to how that affects teams. Mm. But the one thing I, I would say on it is I'm kicking off on Saturday with Liverpool against Leeds United. Oof. Now, normally, that would be absolutely epic. Oh. You've got Liverpool coming back with the Premier League for the first time. They've got that championship to show off for the first time in 30 years. Now, I've been at Anfield all those years ago when they've come back, you know, all guns blazing for another title. And it's and it's an amazing feeling. You know, that that is up that is as up as anywhere. You've then got Leeds United supporters who would be there en masse. Yeah. They would take the place over and you know, they would make an awful lot of noise. Not always what we want to hear either, but that's Leeds for you. Um they would give it plenty. So that is gonna be the fixture for me this weekend that will most miss a crowd because Goodness me, the crowd would have been absolutely epic. So that, that's that's what I'll say. It's a bit of a fudge, yes, because long term we don't know. We don't know who it'll affect and who it won't affect, and whether it has much of an effect at all. We we just we just don't know. With regards to the crowd, I'm curious because this is something I've heard a couple uh, baseball commentators talk about here in the United States, uh, and that is this worry that in an empty stadium, you know, where you can almost hear a pin drop at times, this worry of players and coaches being able to hear what you're saying and that gets into your head and you start overthinking. Have you have you found that at all yet? Has that even seeped into your mind or did I just introduce that fear to you? <laughs> no, you didn't introduce it. I was thinking about it before we went back in June and it was a worry actually then. But once you'd done one or two games, no, not at all. Um, the organisation actually from the Premier League and from the clubs has been second to none. It's been absolutely first class, and and that's not been a problem whatsoever. I had a first game I did back was the first game back between Manchester City and was it Arsenal? Oh, what was the catch up game? I think it was. Um, yeah, it was. David Luiz had a shocker, got sent off. Um, and yeah, that 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 was odd because what we were finding was all the commentators were sitting too close to one another, and we're all bleeding over one another. Oh yeah, um, and, and you could hear other people coming into your headphones, and that was that was strange. That was a little bit odd. I then did the Merseyside Derby Everton Liverpool in June at Goodison. I was very close to the pitch. It was a hot Sunday afternoon, and that was probably the worst game I've seen since the return. That was like a pre-season warm-up. And yeah, I was a little bit conscious there because they could definitely hear what you were saying in that one. But since then, the organisation has been spot on. You get your headphones on. I crank up the fake crowd noise. I know it's got a mixed reaction. Some people like it. Some people absolutely aren't having it. I wouldn't say either. I wouldn't say I like it or I loathe it. I would just say for my job, it's essential because it just gives you that illusion of importance. The game's important anyway, but it gives you that illusion. And, and it makes me focus more on the actual match and look at the ball. And I'm not looking at the stands. In fact, half I have come close. This is pathetic of me, I know, but I've come close at times to saying, 
there's a brilliant atmosphere here. I've, <laughs> because I've got so wrapped up on the ball and the actual action. And those guys doing it, I don't know how they do it, but they're very, very clever with the crowd noise. It doesn't always work. You get a lot of cheers where you think it's gone in and it hasn't gone in and they play it at the wrong time. But um, I think for my job, it's absolutely essential. So I've been cranking that up and just getting on with it. And no, it's not, it's not really... It's not really a factor. Who cares what I say anyway? The players aren't going to react to what I if, if they do, there's something badly wrong. <laughs> well, you say who cares what you say, but you're in a, a grand tradition on Match of the Day of just these iconic voices. And it struck me thinking about the no crowd situation, Guy. Um, when I used to watch John Matson, who was legendary, uh, it was particularly in the, in the FA Cup games or maybe in England games, um, I felt as if the crowd almost helped Marty along in a sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because because something would happen, but the the crowd in the ground, the the, the noise level would rise, and then Marty would react and go, yeah. "Now then." Oh, and that's true. That's true. Yeah, you, I'm, I'm I'm sure that those pro- you missing do. those. You rise and fall with the crowd, right? Your tone changes with the crowd, and that's what's become difficult. That that's the job has actually become a lot harder without the crowd. Not for reasons of anybody hearing you and what have you, but it's um, you read the game with the crowd as well. You know, you, you get the emotions from the crowd and what 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 other people are feeling about it. You don't have that. You've just got to go with your own feeling. Um, luckily, I've done so many thousands of games that you, you generally have a good read of things. You right, of course, you know where it's going. The hardest thing actually has been player reactions. That that has made our job really really difficult. And I'll, I'll cite one example that immediately comes to mind. It was a game towards the end of the season. Spurs beat Leicester 3-1. They were 3-0 up and coasting. Um, Harry Kane scored a wonderful goal, a classic goal where he cuts in from the left, bends one right-footed into the top corner. And then there's no reaction. He, he, he turns around and walks back to the centre table, shakes hands with one or two, walk up to him, doesn't smile, because there's no crowd cheering. There's no running to the crowd. to sell. There's no celebration. So our, And I've seen so many goals like that. Um, it happened with some of the internationals actually last weekend. There were similar goals scored, no reaction whatsoever. And as a commentator, your first thing is, is, is that allowed? Is that being disallowed? <laughs> um, and, and some other games, you know, we don't do a match of the day. We're always in the stadiums. But some of the Champions League games, I'll let you into a secret that everybody knows. Occasionally, we're not actually at the stadium. Occasionally, <gasps> we're in a bunker, in a studio. Good Lord. And you are entirely dependent on the pictures that are given to you that are the same that everybody else is watching at home. Now, when you don't get a shot of the referee, to be clear, you you, you don't know whether the goal's standing or not because the players aren't celebrating. They're just sort of meandering along. There's no, there's no crowd to feed off. So why would they? They're not going to go crazy. It's just like a training match. Um, penalty decisions are another thing. If you don't see the referee clearly pointing to the spot, then sometimes there's no reaction. Players normally be celebrating. We've got a penalty or moaning in his ear. But the players have been a lot more subdued in both their disappointment and their celebration. There's not been nearly the sort of passionate reaction that there would be with the crowd. And that makes the reading of the situation for a commentator. You, you sort of pause and you look and you have to make absolutely sure you know what's given and what hasn't been given. Um, and that's been the trickiest thing of all. 
Yeah. Um, Guy, in terms of what we're going to see on the field, uh, last season it was pretty much just a one-horse race. It was Liverpool from, it felt like almost October onward. We kind of knew where that was headed. This season it feels like a lot of people are viewing it as a two-horse race with Liverpool and Manchester City kind of retooling and getting back in the mix. Do you think that's it, or is there a third or even fourth or fifth team that that could make this a more interesting title race? I think that's it, personally. I think it's those two again. Um, I'm hopeful that it won't be quite so far away from the rest of the pack this time. And and I don't know. And this is the beauty of the English Premier League, and I hope it continues to be forever. Um, we don't know. Somebody else could join the mix. I mean, Leicester in 2016 have, have torn it up and thrown everything away. All you need is somebody to have an off-season and somebody else could come right through from, from almost nowhere. You look at how Everton have been recruiting and they've got one of the best coaches in the world. So who who knows? You know, they, they might spark up. Leicester might do it again, spark from nowhere. Spurs, we know, have got the ability. Arsenal impressed me hugely to the back end of last season. Manchester United are on the rise. Uh, Wolves are another team to watch out for, always. You, you, you don't, they're capable of beating anybody on their day. Uh, Liverpool and City, of course, will be there. Chelsea have <laughs> they've, they've, they've opened the checkbook and gone crazy. Um, that might work. That might not blend quite so quickly. So, as usual, at this point, there are plenty actually in the pot, plenty in the mix. Let's see how it develops over the first, take the first chunk. Actually, no, take the second chunk. I wouldn't go to the first international break this time. There's not enough time. There's only, what, three, four games played before it. Normally, you, you, you judge that as your first opportunity to reflect. Maybe when we get to, in fact, I would say get all the international breaks out of the way and get to Christmas before we get a proper picture of how it's going to develop. Um so although, yeah, I, I do agree that it will be Liverpool and City. They are the two to catch. We know that. Uh, they are the two who are better than the rest. We know that. But not necess- it's not necessarily going to be them. And that, that is the beauty of a league, really. That, that's why it's the, the most watched and most enjoyed league in the world. There is no Bayern Munich absolutely guaranteed. I'll tell you now, they're going to win the Bundesliga. That's done. Sorted. Finished. Bayern Munich champions. That's my prediction. <laughs> Guy, I'm going to ask for your prediction on something we've neglected a little bit, maybe on our preview podcast. Um, certainly, Fulham are America's team. That's just happened over over the past few seasons. Leeds United, everyone's excited about them coming up and, and being back really where they belong. And then there's the Boing Boing Baggies, who we wonder, will they be boinging back down again or will they be steady Eddie? Uh, how do you see the three promoted sides doing? Um, tr- traditionally, they will struggle. Be all they can do to stay up, and that is the mm-hmm. only thing in their minds, and it, it's the only thing. Can Leeds are a different case. Leeds under Marcelo Bielsa are a little bit different. One because they're Leeds United, they are huge, they are enormous, and if you ask any one of their fans now, you'll only get the very, very few pragmatic ones who will say, "Yeah, all we want to do is stay up." They'll be thinking, "That's stuff that we're here, we're back," yeah. and, and, and they will be looking to take it by storm. And, and I think actually Leeds, I think Leeds will be okay. I think, I think, again, funny, you know, you touched on the no crowd thing. Maybe that's the answer. Mm. Maybe Leeds United are the, are the team that will be affected because they would be absolutely rolling. They'll be buzzing. And, and maybe that's maybe that's a factor. Uh, it comes down to pure football. It's not a battle. It's pure football now with no crowds. So that, that could be an answer to that question. Um, maybe they will not do as well because of that. On the other hand, they've got a wonderful manager who plays wonderful football. So I think Leeds will be okay. But I do think because of the style that they play and because there is no alternative option but Bielsa's way, they'll take some 
proper heavy beatings along the path. Okay. I think they could get some some fives or sixes. But on the other hand, they're quite capable of winning by four or five and three and four themselves. That's true. Um, West Brom, not sure. They would be the ones I'd worry about most. Um, I, I, I've got to be honest, I didn't see an awful lot of them last season. We're full on with other stuff. I don't get into the championship as much as I'd like to. Um, so I'm not, I, I wouldn't take this as a any authoritative, knowledgeable opinion, but I would go looking at the squads at the moment. West Brom would be my fear of the three. Fulham, I just don't know. I just don't know. I don't think they'll be great. I like Scott Parker. I like what he's doing there. He's taken me by surprise, actually. I think he's he's a really good coach very, very quickly. Um, I'd like them to do well. I always like going down to Fulham. But oh, it'll be all they can do to survive. Um that sounds like yeah. you're. Sounds like you're telling me two from three would most likely Fulham and West Brom. They're, they're the most likely to really struggle. Um, I'm a Yorkshireman, so maybe maybe I'm a little bit. Even though I'm a York City man, so Leeds aren't particularly my fondest choice. But um, I live in an area. I'm surrounded by Leeds United where I am. I am. I am in the heartland here, so I've got to say that they'll do okay. Their giddiness is infective. I must. Uh, in- it's, it's honest. It's annoying. <laughs> they're all over the place. I, I, honestly, uh, most of my mates are Leeds fans. They're absolutely full of it. <laughs> and full of that as well. <laughs> um, I, I like guy, them, really. I begrudgingly like them. I do, honestly. I want my local teams to do well. Fair. Guy, with uh, with Mourinho, he's such a lightning rod figure. Um, and you know, season one at Spurs, I'd say the results were were mixed. Maybe that's optimistic in the view of some. He always says to judge him in year two. Can it can it work? Can they be top four? Can they win trophies under him playing this style? I know, I know some people think that the, the game has passed him by in this negativity. Can it, can he still be the Mourinho that we know him to be from Chelsea days? It's it's an intriguing one this season. I've actually just started getting into watching the uh, the All or Nothing documentary on with Mourinho and uh, and Spurs, and um, I'm enjoying it thoroughly. I am I'm a big Mourinho fan. I always have been. I, I really am. I love what he brings. I love the controversy. I, I, I love the sort of two sides to him that we get to see all the time. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of Jose Mourinho. And, and I, this, in many ways, has to be the defining season for him. Is it, is, it a, is it a case that, as you just said, Andrew, that, that his era has gone and we've moved into a new era of football that he can't adapt to? Or, or is it... Time to get Spurs a trophy, which is what any trophy, a trophy, some silver in the cabinet. That's what Tottenham Hotspur need and want. Be at the Carabao Cup. That'll do. The FA Cup, magnificent. Premier League's beyond them, let's be honest. Uh, the Europa League, wonderful. Maybe that's not beyond them. So I think there's something in it for Spurs. Um, and, and it is a defining period, I think, for Jose Mourinho. This is it for him. If he doesn't do well with Spurs now... Where does he go next? Is it Portugal? Would the Portugal even want him as a national team coach? I guess that would be the next obvious step for me. Um, I want him to do well because I, I love the guy. I, I, I love what he brings and the fact that he's just so different. Um, I like the ego. I think most of it's tongue-in-cheek, by the way. I think he plays a part and loves it. Um, and football world would be a, a much poorer place without him. Guy, there's been... Incredible interest from our listeners, actually, in in an incident that happened on international duty, but I suppose it has knock-on effects into the Premier League, considering these are two young rising stars. Mason Greenwood and Phil Foden, um, errors of judgment. 
shall we say. Um, how do you think that was handled by Gareth Southgate? And also, you know, what does this say about these two young English footballers, if it says anything? I think from the FA and the England manager's point of view, they did what they had to do. They were left with absolutely no alternative whatsoever. Now, for me, that's the end of the matter. Um, they've, they've been sanctioned. It's been made clear that they're going to have to earn trust again, um, which means they're going to have to perform out of their skins for their clubs and, and make give the manager no option but to pick them again. Um, they've done their grovelling apologies. I, I think that's it. I don't want to see any more about it. I don't want to read any more about it. As far as I'm concerned... They were young men doing what young men have done since time immemorial. Yeah. And too young maybe to, to know any better. And we all make mistakes growing up um, in, in all shapes and forms. And I wouldn't I wouldn't castigate them any further than that. Their, their, their heads have been turned um, in the wrong time, the wrong place, the wrong thing to do. That's it. Done. Over with. Get on with your careers, boys. Get on with scoring goals. Get on with making goals. Get on with being brilliant. And uh, they've learned they've learned a lesson. They've learned a, a really big lesson. And I, I just hope that's the end of it. I don't want to read any more about it. I don't want to see those girls again. And, and that's it. I'm done. Uh, real quick, before we let you go, Guy, a couple just fast, rapid fire on uh, on the season to come. Oh, uh, I've got a few here. Yeah, definitely. Player you're most excited about watching? I, was gonna, I would have said Foden and Greenwood. But there we go. Uh, and I still am. On the field, I still am. They are two... Absolutely brilliant talents, um, and I want to see. I want to see Chelsea. I want to see. I want to see the new Chelsea and all the new players that they've signed. I'm excited about watching them in general. Uh, Guy, best best food or best pie at an English Premier League ground? We don't get any anymore because of COVID. We don't get oh. any food at the press in the press rooms anymore. Remember, usually in the media suites, we 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 get served our dinner. We we get done. And by the way, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City. Top of the tree, those three, year on year. Spurs are catching up. Manchester United have improved massively. Uh, Villa, think... always good. <laughs> but anyway, that's a long time ago. We don't get you anything were, anymore. You were probably upset that the cheese room was cancelled from Spurs' new stadium. That would have been lovely. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we're not quite that high up. We don't get the inner sanctum. I was more upset a couple of years ago when Arsenal took the ice cream freezer away. But um, no, the, the food's all set. Chelsea's my favourite. Chelsea's always absolutely spot on. Their bread and butter pudding and custard is worth going for that alone. In fact, I wish the season was played in July every year because I got married in July and I would take my wife for a wedding anniversary to a Chelsea match just to have the food there. <laughs> and it would also cost me nothing. So, But, yeah. um, but uh, best pie I've had, um, I've got to say my local club, York City, do great pies. All right. um, they're like lava pies. The inside is so hot. You can bite into it when the game kicks off and it's still absolutely molten at halftime. Perfect. Uh, signing you're most intrigued by? Ooh, they're happening every day at the moment, are they? There's so many going on. Um, I think possibly Havertz. I think Kai Havertz. Um, I want to see if it's real. I saw him quite a bit last year for Leverkusen. He's talented. Is he absolutely the finished article yet? I don't think so. I think... I think people will I think people will say he's overpriced this season, but it's a long term buy, so maybe long term it will work for Chelsea. Um so I'm 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 interested in him. Last one for me, Guy. Uh manager that you either think's on the hot seat or that it, you're just totally intrigued as to how they do going forward this season. We've 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 touched on it. It's the old guard for me, it's Mourinho. 
that's that's the most intriguing one for me. This is a defining period, not for his career. He's had he's, he's had great moments. You can't you can't ever knock him for everything that he's done. But um, this is a defining period for what he does next and, and where he goes next, how his career progresses. So I would say, yeah, Mourinho and Tottenham, and obviously, and I don't know what it's like over there, but all the talk in this country. I'm actually almost bored of it. This country has gone Bielsa crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody is talking about Marcelo Bielsa nonstop. Yeah, this season should be fun. Uh, we hope to see fans back in the stands soon enough, but That's with or without it. That's the yeah. thing. Above all else, above all those wishes and predictions, I just want to I just want to get back to normal, please. I know. Oh, my God, you said it. Hey, Guy Mowbray, this is always fun. I'm sure we'll catch up during the season as well. Thanks so much, man. See you later. Cheers, Guy. Our thanks to Guy Mowbray. Awesome. Uh, love talking with him. Yeah, that was great. It was such insight. I'm very disappointed in Arsenal. I mean, if you're going to cut costs, I think that Mesut Ozil should be the first one to go, not the ice cream machine. What is that about? Yeah, he might be why the ice cream machine was taken away. Scandalous. All available funding had to go to his contract. Unbelievable. Ice cream gone. It's a shame. It's a real shame. Uh, Also, not holding out much hope for those promoted sites. Yeah. Which I'll get to in our predictions. Okay. Because awesome. uh, you know me, Andrew, I'm beholden to stat- statistics and uh, the stats don't look good. Yeah. One other thing uh, that I was thinking about while he was talking, we were, when we were talking about fans not being in stadiums and, and the worry of players being able to hear the things you're saying. There, there was one time, JJ, I used to call... Uh, high school football, high school American football games, right? <laughs> um, and you know, like these are high, these aren't stadiums; these are like bleachers. bleachers. And, and there was this one time where we were doing the game, and we're in the same, like everyone's in the same booth, including so there's me calling the game, and the offensive, my, the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator are literally next to me. Oh no. How are you supposed to second guess a third down play call when the guy who called the play is literally touching my shoulder and like staring daggers at me? It was, I mean, you talk about just like the worst environment to have to call a game in, calling it while standing next to the coaches. Oh, and it's, it's, it's third down and 17. He's gone into, he's gone into the I formation. What the hell is this guy doing? Right. right. Yeah. Third and 20. They're in goal line. Uh, great call though very outside the box thinking good job <laughs> coach but yeah uh, so there are always more adverse circumstances uh that are oh, that are out there so awkward and you hate confrontation oh no it's it's not my strong suit i can imagine you though toady and up to him oh well uh you could say that was a controversial uh, play call but i thought it was excellent and i'll tell you what's wrong the players didn't execute that's right. And I'll tell you what, every college in America should be banging down this high school coordinator's door to get him into their program. <laughs> It'll be third and 30. Uh, all right, here we go. <laughs> Prediction time, buddy. All boy. right, here we go, boys. And remember, I save these at the end of the season. Like these don't die in a vacuum. I oh, make no. sure to embarrass both of us at the end of the year. You hold them like daggers close to your chest. Let's start with this. The bottom three. Can I go first? You may. Um, I don't have, I should say, I don't have much of an explanation. We've explained a lot of stuff. So, you know, take these for, for what they're worth. Bottom three, I have West Brom. Uh, it is with no joy that I also have Fulham. 
And then I had a really hard time with the third one, JJ. I wound up going with Crystal Palace. Oh. Uh, they're, uh, yeah, they're, I know you talked about them in part one as being kind of concerned about them. I was looking at some stats with them. Their uh, non-penalty expected goals last year was horrifying. Like I can't even believe that they finished where they did. Uh, so to even be where they were last year, they were pretty fortunate um, to not have necessarily. And it's funny because when we came back from the restart, they were actually in the kind of in the battle for the top four. But uh, I don't know if they were doing it with smoke and mirrors or what. Uh, also, I should say I was dangerously close to putting Newcastle there and um, Aston Villa as well. I think Newcastle and Villa could be a part Ooh. of the uh, the relegation battle. But ultimately, West Brom, Fulham, and Palace is where I'm going. Yeah, I've. Um, this is how my uh, bottom three are going to look. It's going to be West Ham, Fulham, and bottom and dead last, West Bromwich Albion. Um, which is broadly in line with, with what Guy was saying. However, I logged on to 538, Andrew. And oh dear, 538 have the following bottom three. They have your concerns in that Villa and Newcastle just stay up above the line. Mm, okay. But the bottom three are Fulham, Leeds United, and dead last West Brom. So they have all three promoted sides going straight back down. Yes. Which is the consensus is that Leeds will be better or are better equipped. But they've obviously looked at, I think, player strength and maybe even looked at signings and come to this conclusion. I don't think that's going to be the way it is, but not great. Yeah. Uh, all right. Manager of the year. I've, um, I've gone with the current PFA manager of the year. I'm going to go again with Jurgen Klopp. I believe... Uh, I, well, I'm not going to say anything more than that. Just Jurgen Klopp because I don't want to give away my predictions. <laughs> I think he kind of just did. No, um, my predictions for where they finish in that league table, Andrew. You, you kind of just did, though. Yeah, kind of did. Jurgen Klopp. You kind of did. Uh, let's see. This. I feel like this is so cliche. I, I feel like such a cheese ball doing this. But, Jose uh, Mourinho. No, no, that is not what I did uh, against my better instincts. Um I went with Marcelo Bielsa. I guess I'm buying the hype, and and with oh, 538, wow. with 538 placing Leeds where they did, I suppose if Leeds have this kind of season that a lot of people think they might, 538 excluded, where they finish, you know, mid table, right. uh, then you know, I think Bielsa suddenly becomes a pretty viable candidate if the expectations are are I, that low. I think so. Uh, um, all right. Andrea Radrizzani, the owner of Leeds, was talking the other day, and, and he talked about the absolute necessity of staying up. So there we are. He won't like to see 538. No. And if any club knows about the necessity of staying up, it is, think about them 16 years ago. Oh. And uh, if you want a preview of the season from a Leeds perspective, we, we talked to the guys from the square ball uh, during the summer. We had a great chat when they were promoted, and uh, you can get an insight into where Leeds have come from. Yeah, that was fun. Maybe we'll repost that on Twitter. Yeah, um, for people. Uh, all right, top scorer this season, JJ. I said Obama Yang, uh, and I even gave a number prediction. I think he'll have twenty-four goals. I feel good about it. I'm going with the Obama Yang, and I'm going to say twenty-five. Oh, well, we both have the same guy for that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I just think we talked. I think it was in the middle of the summer about his form. And also his demeanor at being at Arsenal. This is not a want-away striker. This is a guy who's in a hot spot. Uh, the, and, and Andrew, his ability to finish outside the box, curling it into the bottom corner, dangerous in the box, um, can lift it over the goalkeeper. I, and I see Arsenal playing a lot more on the break 
than previous iterations of the Gunners, and I think he will be devastating. And I and I see him in a rich vein of form in his early thirties. All right, Player of the Year, Jordan Henderson excluded. I mean, he's the obvious candidate, but I figured it would be corny. So to just salty, such a salty man. <laughs> All right, I, I'm going to go first here. Uh, I'll tell you, I so badly. I so badly wanted to pick Kevin De Bruyne again, but I'm I'm even bored with myself doing that. Um, so I'm going to say his teammate Raheem Sterling. Interesting. All right. Um, I I didn't get bored with Kevin De Bruyne. I I think I think it's possible it will be Kevin De Bruyne again. I've split it between Kevin De Bruyne and I think and the young player PFA young player of the season just awarded, which is um bit bit late from the PFA awards, but uh, Trent Alexander Arnold. I, I can't split between the two. All right. And uh, here we go. Top right. four in order, starting at number four. You want to go first? Yes. Okay. Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City, and Liverpool. Back-to-back champions. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to say this. There is... I don't think there's very much between Liverpool and Manchester City. I... I do expect a drop off from Liverpool from last year's standards. I think it's we are we are in an era where it's very hard to be uh, a, a dynastic team in in the Premier League. City couldn't quite manage it. Liverpool are in a very uh, very good period. Um, I think it's going to be very close. Just for what it's worth, five thirty eight have City first, Liverpool second, Manchester United third, Chelsea fourth. Tottenham fifth, Leicester City sixth. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, uh, that's interesting to hear. So here's my top four and champion. Fourth, I have Manchester United. Third, I went Chelsea. Second, I went Liverpool. And winning the league, I went Manchester City. And and kind of like you, like I, I can't say I have a great reason in particular for, for picking City over Liverpool. So I, I kind of just went deep in trying to have an explanation for it. One thing I saw that was interesting to me, um, I looked at the uh, the expected points table from a year ago. It's basically a table that kind of operates off of like what you would have finished with factoring in your expected goals and expected goals allowed. And Liverpool finished last year with 24 more points than what the metrics say they probably should have had. Wow. That's a that's an incredibly huge number. It speaks a little bit to what we said about them that, you know, they're great and and great teams make their own luck. But Liverpool, maybe it says we're fortunate in some of those occasions where we kind of suspected that. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Some of it for me, it comes down to some of the depth maybe that Manchester City have, motivation for City. You know, will Liverpool have any sort of letdown now that they finally achieved what took them 30 years to achieve? Will City have like a, a renewed sense of anger uh, after getting throttled last season? I don't. Will lack of incoming players affect Liverpool in some way? Um I don't know, uh, but it's just, I guess it's just kind of a, a gut pick for me. So uh, I went with Manchester City. I'm sorry, JJ. No, that that's fine. And, and honestly, Andrew, it was, uh, the head is, ru- or the heart is ruling the head a little bit for me because this is an incredible ask for Liverpool to go to the well again for a third season in a row. Don't forget how they extended themselves over the past two seasons. They've made barely any signings over these past two seasons. And, um, and to ask them to go again is going to be very, very tough. It's a huge task, but but I, I, you know, doubters to believers, I'm just going to go with my heart and believe Liverpool can do it again. Well, there you go. Uh, I think we're ready. I think we're ready. You feel good? 
No, I'm, I'm, I, I know everything we said with Guy notwithstanding in terms of, of crowds and that, I'm excited to have some kind of rhythms back. We have the Premier League back. We have the National Football League returning this weekend as well. Uh, tonight, actually. Um, I'm, I'm pumped for the new season, Andrew. And um, yeah, some kind of rhythm back in, 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 in our lives, albeit not exactly what we've been accustomed to. No, it should be fun. Uh, it always is. Um, have you, before we get out, I should just ask, are you caught up on uh, All or Nothing? Should we save this for next week? Uh, we, we've, I've, I'm up to episode three. Um, we should probably save it for next week. We, we'll probably be able to go through it in full next week. And, um, you know, uh, it's, I, I don't know what to tell you, Andrew. It's it's going to be an interesting conversation. We'll save that for next week. You know By the what? Way, I, I don't want to talk about it with you. I changed my mind. No, we're doing it next week, okay? But, when we have but I love it so much, and I'm enjoying it so much. Are you, you really? You are. See, the fact that you're surprised, it, it, it's – I can't. But, but it's I, like, I, I, you're going to kill my enthusiasm and no. the joy that I feel, the excitement when I turn it on, the theme song plays. I, I, I just – I'm so enjoying it, and you, you want me – See, I like to like things. That's just how I approach life. Right. Um, and and you are the complete and total polar opposite of it's that. Not true. It's not true. I just I just uh, look. Let's deal with this next week. I want to thank people for sending in their helper fans. I need I need to ask you when we should shut this down. Saturday morning. That's it. Sure. Or should yeah. we? Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. No, no, no. Give them through the weekend. Give okay, through, through the weekend. weekend. All right. Monday, uh, Sunday night, that's it, guys. No more because as much as I enjoy doing them and uh, handing out the teams, it's, you know, at some point you got to say no. Yeah. So. Uh, before we go, last chance, JJ. Fantasy EPL. Draft is tonight. I no. know you want in. Uh, I really don't. I don't. How can I use re- my reverse psychology skills here? Uh, oh, you're not good it's enough. It's because you don't think you can win, is it? <laughs> Dr. Gundling, you're not going to force me into doing this and to making a U-turn. I have uh, very little interest in doing that. Just think about it. Hey, this was fun, man. I look forward to the games. I look forward to the season. The season. The season. The season. It is back. It is back to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. Side Soccer Podcast.